You're listening to KJ Recaps. Welcome back to KJ Recaps. We are here recapping Stranger Things season three, episode two, The Mall Rats. I am Jess. I am Kim. Well, Kim, I honestly, I had seen the title of this episode because all the episode titles have been already released and never even put together the rat uh, implication associated with it. The literal mall rat. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say that like theory of Kim's from last episode, I feel like really came to life in this episode as the rat turned into like a literal goo monster. I like honestly, I have to say I'm a little impressed with my own self. Like Right. I was like this <laughs> I'm is... patting myself on the back a little bit. <laughs> Although I do think that there's the potential that the goo monster might ha- might be becoming other things. I do think right. that maybe it is forming the sh- the uh mind flare itself. Um but maybe it's also going to turn into like its minions, like its demo dogs and stuff like that. But yes, I have to say like I was pretty proud of myself for Bang that. Bang on. Now, no sight of Bob yet coming back from the dead, but Goo Monster I can still hold out hope. Check. At exactly. the very least, I hope that Bob and Barb are together somewhere living their best pure selves that's, lives. That's exactly. <laughs> uh if you are wondering what we're talking about, of course, we have released episode 1's uh recap. We are going to now tackle episode 2 and just a reminder that we have not watched beyond episode two so this is a pure take on the second episode of this new season of stranger things we're going to go through scene by scene if you want to leave us any kind of feedback or thoughts about what you think is happening just make sure to keep it spoiler free of the episodes ahead but kjrecaps.com slash feedback would be great or follow us on facebook and twitter can i just do a quick shout out before we get started because (laughs) this has just made me think Um, so last season we had um an avid listener mike the rat guy who um contacted us a couple of times and i don't know if you are listening again this season but mike the rat guy i hope that you are not letting your rats watch this season because it would be If you were a friend of the rat, this is a tough season <laughs> to watch so far. Oh, man. It's, you know, another thing I thought of, too, that is a good call out, Kim. Thank you. And um, just like how light and dark the this show can be. Like, we're going to go through this scene by scene and we're going to get a mall makeover montage, which is glorious. And then we're going to get someone basically served up as a human sacrifice in the end. Like, I know. Yeah. Terrifying. And, okay, I'm very excited. I'm not going to, like, just, you know, throw everything out immediately. I'm going to save it for the appropriate timing in our scene by scene. But I have theories. (laughs) This is great. Okay, well, why don't we not withhold the theories anymore? Kim, why don't you, uh, you know, set us off at least with the cold open here? Okay, so we pick up shortly uh, after where we left off. So, like, Billy was dragged into the basement by what I assume to be the Mind Flayer at the end of episode one. And now he's being, like, spit back out, like, thrown out of the basement, covered in blood. Um, and he races to his car, which now luckily suddenly works. I know. Uh, I thought and, that too. <laughs> and he like, he races down the road to get to, uh, a payphone where he dials 9911. Um, but 
we're seeing flashbacks of what happened to him in the basement. The mind flayer's like sucker tentacle, for lack of a better description, yeah. was attached to his face in like a similar way that we had seen in previous seasons, like with Will and in this like layer that we saw um, at the end of season one, I think. So I'm assuming that this is the way in which the mind flayer like infiltrates someone's mind. Um, so suddenly Billy is no longer on the phone with 911. He is in the upside down and a group of people walking like in military precision approach him and he's, you know, screaming at them like, what do you want? And then finally someone steps out of the shadows and it is another Billy. Oh my God. Man. Credits. So do you want to start here in terms of what thoughts and theories are? Oh, yes. I mean, we can, <laughs> we can come back to it Look if you want. Um, when uh, Because there's going to be another scene where essentially Billy is having a dream of this sort of confrontation that he has with his doppelganger in the Upside Down, which ultimately, I believe, is the mind flayer who's just using his own image to, like, talk to him through the Upside Down, right? But um, so we can we can come back to that when we go, go through that scene sure. later on. Perfect. I also want to say that, you know, we made a big fuss last episode about the fact that Billy was just super fucked because he crashed in a place, not remembering that payphones would have had a much greater existence in right. 1985. He finds one pretty darn quickly. <laughs> he just walked down a country road and there's a payphone because there's a pay they phone. were necessary. And that's, <laughs> that's that right. is the lesson I've learned. Um, okay. So after the credits, we uh, begin with L dealing with a Mike who is late coming over and when she finally calls him he says that they can't hang out today he is a terrible liar um which leads to actually a kind of funny scene with his mom um, overhearing that Nana might actually be sick um but a classic 80s mom Karen listening in on the call Exactly. Mom, get off the phone. <laughs> uh, but he clearly has taken to heart um, Hopper's influence that he take a break. Now, I have many thoughts that this is not an appropriate approach anymore. No. Like, yes, you're annoying that you, with all the awkward kissing and that you've abandoned all your friends, but this is not what we wanted. This no. is, in fact, what Hopper wanted. Well, <laughs> but... and like the fact that, yeah, you can clearly see this being set up for the big fall that's coming because just to dive, dive into the next episode or next scene is when he goes to tell Joyce that he basically was, how does he exactly say it? He says something like, uh, you know, he had to do a little bit of improvisation to her right. methodology. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. Like a little, a little bit, bit hopper, really. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about Mike's kind of decision to Mike's take? Mike's an like, idiot. Like, Mike is an idiot. Yeah. Hopper's an idiot. <laughs> Everybody's done like, here. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Hopper 100% overstepped. You know, yes, you can ask for more respect. And yes, it's, mm-hmm. it is appropriate to set boundaries. But to threaten a kid into <laughs> lying to his girlfriend for fear that you're never going to be able to see him again, see her again. And then ultimately, like Mike not being honest with Elle because uh, he you know, is a, is afraid of Hopper and, yeah. and then digs himself into this giant hole. I mean, everybody's just being stupid. Well, and it's going to really, I think, turn on, you know, L is going to turn on Hopper at some point about this because that's not a cool level of intervention. 
So, right. but he's just like <laughs> he's on such a high, and then he asks Joyce out, and that is gonna go badly. Like it's just, I do feel for the guy. Poor Hopper. Um. Yeah. So. So the dinner. He asks her out again, and Joyce is hesitant, but ultimately she says yes, but it is based on the premise that they are only, you know, going to dinner as friends. Yeah. Uh, so I think that Hopper, like, recognized that the reason why she was hesitating is because she wasn't ready yet to date yet after Bob. So, you know, he made it very clear that uh, it is just friends having dinner. But 100%, like, this was a date for Hopper. Very <laughs> much. Guy. As we're going to see his aforementioned costume change uh, that we didn't think ever happened. <laughs> it right. It actually happens in this episode. <laughs> That's right. But, and I think, like, I think that Joyce is not as tuned into the moments of romantic tension that have happened Agreed. between them like even if bob weren't there i feel like she's just kind of like winona Ryder's face i mean is amazing all the time and she looks so much like she did in that acceptance speech where she's just making all these like strange eyes <laughs> she's like what <laughs> yeah. is the is the yeah. look on her face at all times exactly and i think she's just gonna like and it's very true to joyce that joyce is like like no that's not a thing for us even though i really hope that it is so. Yeah, I really think that, you know, like there are feelings there for Joyce, um, m- maybe like well below the surface, maybe right. feelings that she had had at a different time before yes. Bob. And now she's so preoccupied with her grief of Bob that she's just not really thinking about it right now. So I definitely think there's something there. But you're right. This is all very one sided at the moment. And uh, Hopper is very excited about this, you know, non-date that they're about to have. Uh, and then he gets called away uh, by one of his deputies to um, to go to town hall where there are protests taking place. And then on his way out of the general store, he trips over some magnets that have fallen on the floor. So Joyce tries to stick them back on. She, of course, has recognized that this is now a pattern of magnets that aren't working for some reason. The first time I saw this, I thought he had like kicked them over and then was like, clean up in aisle five. I was like, I know, what a dick. You know, like, pick them up your fucking self. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, they're already off. Uh... Nancy is at work at the Hawkins Post and she's still thinking about this call that she got about these diseased rats. Um, She ultimately uses the excuse that her boss will be squeamish about her lady problems to go see a doctor. I mean, which is a really, that is a very real thing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she and Jonathan are conveniently going to head out and investigate this rat story, which definitely more to come on that goo monster rats. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so at the mall, Dustin co- goes to Steve's work to see him for the first time after having returned home after a month away. This is like my favorite. And this is my favorite. <laughs> I like. I loved this so much. Steve was so genuinely yes. Um, in- and there's sh- handshake. Like I, I need know. to have and like the like sword across the stomach. Like oh my god. Oh, my God. They're adorable. Obviously, the older brother, younger brother dynamic from season two has only grown since then. So these guys are obviously super close. And so uh, Dustin gets a giant Sunday and sits with Steve and talks to him about being (laughs) ditched by his friends. And Steve is very empathetic, as any big brother would be. And then he tells him about the secret Russian communication that he intercepted. And Steve is very intrigued about the possibility that he could be a hero who gets many ladies. Uh Aha! 
Ha-ha. Always an angle for Steve, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Dustin tells Steve that he just needs him to help him with the translation of the recording. Uh, <laughs> I mean, task. we will find out very soon that Steve is a terrible person to have asked for this <laughs> assistance. But <laughs> but I love the dy- dynamic duo back again. Yes, agreed. Uh, so Elle and Mike, who are not together, are asking their respective friends for a relationship advice. So Elle is with Max, who tells her what has happened and... Max's advice is to ignore and give, you know, treat him like garbage back. Uh, And so they head to the mall, which we're going to get the montage. And then uh, Lucas has an amazing reaction to Mike's handling of the situation, um, which also involves heading to the mall. But he clearly realizes that Mike is in big trouble. And then, like, Will is just continually through this episode basically saying, can we play D&D now? (laughs) That's like his only I know. Poor Will, he just wants to go back to the way that things were before. And like, you know, in episode one, when Nancy was sneaking out not so subtly of Jonathan's bedroom and Joyce was saying like he thinks she thinks it's cute or whatever. And Will was saying, I think it's gross. I'm never going to fall in love. So I think that Will is just like a little bit behind his friends in terms of you know, reaching that level of puberty where he has started ga- gaining an interest in girls. He's he's still sort of the more childlike of the group and just wants to kind of have fun doing their, you know, ch- more childish games that they had done before. So the poor guy is really kind of being left in the dust here in a lot of this stuff. Well, especially tragic because he spent the whole of like season one <laughs> in the upside down. You know, know, he didn't get as much chance to like go through some of these growth or meet these people that they're so close with. Like you do feel for him. Yeah, I know. It's so true. I mean, while everybody else was essentially saving the world, he That's was right. the one being saved. And so yeah. he didn't go through that growth and he, he didn't get to develop those relationships. You're right. So I think it's probably, you know... Uh, realistic that he is the one of the group who's just kind of like mourning the way that things were just wanting them to go back to the way they were before Um, so yeah you do have to feel for the guy I do think they've done a great job too of making him look exactly the same like yes the others have had growth and obviously there's like actual genetics involved in this like Finn Wolfhard is just like He's so tall. Who plays Mike, who's gotten <laughs> six and a half feet tall in between. I know. He's, he's like, he's the season. brand. He's the brand of uh, of Stranger Things. Very much. In Game of Thrones, when they cast Bran at like nine years old or whatever, I'm sure they didn't expect him to become a goddamn giant by the yeah. end of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, well, he's still about... supposed to be like 13 years old and he's six yeah. foot four or something. I know. They like, it's Depp Well, and... It's Harry Potter too. You know, we've talked about Neville Longbottom, I think, on this show before. Same kind of thing. But anyway, so Will is sadly just the kind of tagging along, yes, begrudgingly to these adventures for now. Yeah. Okay. So back at the pool the next day. Uh, this is the 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 day after Karen was supposed to meet Billy at the motel. She finds him in the storage closet and tries to explain to him why she didn't show up. So she did, in fact, you were right. Her mind. Yeah. Um, so Billy is not himself. He is still like reeling from whatever impacts like the mind flayer has, has had on him. He's like sweating and he can't focus. Like, I feel like the mind flayer is in his head and he just like can't, um, you know, like he's just not himself anyway. So as Karen is trying to explain herself to Billy, there's this flash of Billy becoming like really violent with Karen and smashing her head. Oh, it really scared me. I really thought it happened. I 100% thought it happened. I was like gasping at the TV. 
And then just as quickly as that like flash happened, uh, we go back to a few moments before and we realize that it just happened in Billy's head. So I really think that that was the mind flare telling Billy what he what the, what he wanted him to do. Yes. And Billy did not um you know did not give in to what the mind flare's direction was and that's why he told Karen like stay away from me because he doesn't have control of himself right now. Yeah, and it, and I think ultimately this battle that he's fighting he loses later on. Yes, you know I agree. I mean? Like he yeah. has enough of himself to know that he needs to get away, but I mean it's clearly very difficult exactly yeah so karen got off very lucky but as we see in the end of course the other lifeguard not so much but yeah so this is like you know billy's internal struggle that we're seeing here um so billy tells karen to stay away from him as i just mentioned and then he kind of goes stumbling out of the storage closet and to his lifeguard chair where he's like you know just completely unfocused and the sun seems to be like burning him and yeah, he's, yeah yeah not a lot of sun in the Upside Down. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so back at the ice cream shop, Lucas's sister, who has just had these like little tiny flashes of her in episodes I mean, one and two, is just amazingly torturing Robin with, can I try this kind? Right. It's like, you already she tried that. hilarious. In yeah. like episode one, when, um, when Lucas was like, it's time for you to go home or something like that. And she's like, it's time for you to die. I'm like, What? <laughs> It escalated so quickly. (laughs) Oh, my God. She cracked me up. Exactly. So Steve and Dustin are working in the back room and Robin is like losing her mind. Um, But before she comes back, Steve is kind of fixated on this music that he can hear in the background. We're going to see that a bit later. Um, So she makes a great case for why she should join the translation team. Turns out she's very fluent in many languages and understands language a lot so she gets to tackle like the translation issue and she fits in the team so well i really like i know yeah yes boom i like that part earlier i don't i think we already covered that where she's like she keeps you know making fun of steve and like dustin's just kind of in the middle or maybe that part's coming but it's just anyway she's like you know the gang up on steve is very enjoyable I love it. She adds a great dynamic and she's smart as hell. So, uh, yeah, she yeah, we would still be looking turning at... point in actually making some headway in this <laughs> translation process. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, which is which is great. So we knew that this was going to happen, but I'm glad that it happened so quickly that she is yeah, now essentially a really like a full blown member of this gang, though. Yeah. I mean, it's on a smaller scale right now with just Steve and Dustin, but we'll see her with a larger group, I'm sure. But it is nice that she just accepts it. Like, by the end, she's got, she's bought into all the theories, you know? Like, you yeah. don't have to spend all this time, like, bringing her on board or, like, exactly. her not believing it. It's just, like, That's she's one of the, really like, fun. TV tropes that I find yes. that Stranger Things is so good at cir- circumventing. Yeah, like, Steve just joined the team last season just with such gusto, you know? Right. <laughs> um, okay, so Nancy, Nancy and Jonathan have arrived at the ladies' house who called in to report the diseased rats. And they go into the basement to investigate, and they find these huge bags of fertilizer that have been eaten by the rats, according to this woman. So he, she thinks that the rats have rabies or something. And then she, uh, she tells them that she managed to cage one of the rats, and she points to this, like, crazy rattling cage with, like, this monstrous like chirping and stuff coming from it so clearly a rat but like not just any normal rat that's happening um i have fertilizer theories okay please go okay 
so my thought is, is that, you know how the way in which Hopper was sort of alerted to the fact that there was something not right in season two was the dead crops. That's what made him look for the vines and found this gate and whatever, right? So, like, maybe the, um, you know, the mind flare or or the gate or whatever it is, it, like, it feeds on uh, decomposing organic matter. And so if the fertilizer is compost, you know, then maybe this is a way for the mind flare to essentially stay under the radar by feeding itself with this you know, decaying organic matter, if that's, if that makes sense, without resulting in mass destruction of crops or fields that would then sort of alert people to the fact that, I mean, they know to look for it now. So if they have another dead pumpkin patch, they're obviously gonna, you know, come guns blazing to try to take this thing down. That is my thought. I think it's like very on point, you know, I think that it must be some sort of sustenance. I mean, the other thing a lot of fertilizers have in common is petrochemicals, like whether there's some sort of, um, but some sort of sustenance for like the creature. So it like has the rat's gorge on it and then it is able to like convert the rat into goo rat. Uh, But it's definitely, (laughs) that's interesting related to the crops from season two because you're right, like that was a huge kind of common theme. Hmm. Yeah. So, yes, I definitely think it is sustenance. I think like we agree on that. And more than that, like just a step further is that I think that the mind flare is being strategic in a way that like makes me think that it's trying to hide its presence or hide its tracks in some way um, in order to sort of, you know, best its foe our group um this season where it failed last season so like i i i don't know if it's too far-fetched but i definitely thought that it was like purposefully looking for a way to sustain itself without drawing attention which also might be why it is using rats to make its body instead of other you know instead of billy instead of other living things where people are going to go missing and it's going to draw attention yeah i think that that's a really good point and that's kind of like part of what I had been thinking but it was more like it's like the rats are the earlier you know living being that's brought into it yeah and it's like you're right unless everyone finds all these rats like no one's really going to notice that the rats are going missing other than this one woman (laughs) (laughs) uh, or behaving differently so yeah yes for sure um okay so we are at city hall and the workers who are protesting about you know the killing of downtown are chanting klein is a swine outside of the mayor's office uh we do notably see a man holding a motorcycle helmet who passes hopper in the hallway outside of the mayor's office and of course we're going to get a call back to that later in the episode which we can talk about then um and hopper is shown in to see mary klein played of course by carrie elwes as we mentioned last episode and which he wants is hopper- pronounced yeah which we i was elwes. yeah not I, but i looked yules not yules but I... when i looked it up there's a lot of people who say exactly what you just said kim everyone's like oh, really i always pronounced it this way yeah um <laughs> okay Anyway, this little bit of him that we get is very enjoyable. He's clearly, like, smarmy politician. Um, Which is virtually every single uh, character that Carrie Elwes plays, except for Wesley from The Princess Bride. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're definitely not going to be typecast as the heartthrob if you just continually take these, like, douchebaggy characters. Right. <laughs> um, and so I really like Hopper's responses are great to this. Like, clearly he and the mayor don't have, like, a super friendly relationship between sheriff and, and mayor, but um, he's basically making the case that they have a right to protest until the mayor points yeah. out that there's no permit, which is, like, where Hopper's yes. hands kind of are tied. But I have thoughts on this. Okay. Um, so I felt like this was the first of a couple of instances in this episode where I feel like Hopper's role as sheriff is going to be in jeopardy. And I know that I cried wolf on this once before <laughs> last season where I thought that uh, that he might lose his, his uh, appointment as sheriff. Yes. Uh, but... Right, because we, elect- we had a conversation about elections and sheriffs, yes. Right, exactly. And so when, um, when Hopper tells the mayor that he felt like, you know, carting people off um, for protesting without provocation is going to hurt their chances at a re-election, I really kind of like took that statement a step further to be like, well, it's not the mayor who's carting them off. It's Hopper himself. And even though he doesn't have a permit and even though, or I'm sorry, they don't have a permit. And so his hands are tied. It's he's still the face of the, you know, the person who is putting people in the back of a police car for exercising their right to protest. And, and then later on, of course, when he makes the comment in the restaurant, very drunkenly saying, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He's the sheriff of the town. Those were things that are like, Ooh, Hopper. I feel like this might be alluding to some troubles for him down the road. Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's fair. There's certainly that groundwork. It feels like it's being laid, and I do think in general Hopper's being set up for quite a fall in this season. <laughs> so that would align with kind of the other things that we're seeing him be overconfident or just completely obtuse towards. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are at the mall. Max and Elle have just arrived for a good old-fashioned makeover montage. We don't get it quite here, but this is what they're there for. (laughs) That that is the purpose of this shopping trip, and I am living for it. Um, So at first, Elle is reluctant about being around so many people because she's still supposed to be keeping a low profile. So obviously... Hopper has uh, sort of loosened the reins a little bit in allowing her to see her friends and allowing her a little bit more freedom, but not by much because she's still not supposed to be out in public. Um, But Max convinces her to have some fun um, and Elle gets super into it when Max explains to her the joys of expressing yourself through fashion. So (laughs) shopping for the first time is fun. Um, And I felt like I felt torn about this. So in one sense, like because I feel like the reason that she's being kept away from public spaces is really related to the fact that she could be a danger to the public if she reacted like poorly to something or wasn't able to control her powers do you read it as that like i don't read it as necessarily hopper being like you can't be seen in public because of oh no i definitely took it the other way okay. i definitely did not take it the same way as you did i really thought that it was a protection of l that even though the lab had shut down or whatever that dr brenner is still out there somewhere like people could still be looking for her and that it was all in the interest of her own protection not to protect others from her yeah, so I definitely get the impression that it's the other way, but I could I could totally be wrong. But in that case, because I because Mike says it later on too, and I think protecting her through that. I'm not saying like because if she were to you know lose control and something happened, then that would 
she would be locked away or discovered mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Um, and so when Max says, like, what's the worst that can happen? I was like a little bit like, that's very blasé for a girl who's been able to do a tremendous number of things and like a significant amount of damage to people, um, even though she seems to have it under control now. Like, right. But see, it's... it was Max's comment that actually makes me feel like the re- the reason why she has been shut away is for her own protection and not for the protection of others. Because Max is saying, well, what's the worst that could happen? You're a girl with superpowers, essentially meaning if someone comes after you, then you can take them down. You have the capability to do that, right? And Max isn't thinking whatsoever, uh, to your point, about the impact that Elle might have on other people. And maybe she should be, and maybe that's her childish naivete that is not making her think of that. And Hopper is actually considering both of those things. Right. But like, you know, it seems as if... The reason that Elle's friends understand for her to be, you know, not in public is because bad people could find her. That was my impression. Um, And then meanwhile, while uh, Max and uh, and Elle are doing some uh, shopping therapy, the boys are looking for something pretty and shiny to win back Elle's attention. Um, uh, unfortunately, with three dollars and fifty cents, I don't know what it's, you were thinking you were going to get with that. Even money, in nineteen eighty-five, <laughs> that is not uh, not enough money to buy something good. Yeah, right. Um, so back at the still very slow general store where there are no customers, uh, Joyce is looking into what could be happening with the magnets not being magnetic anymore. And she heads to, we ultimately find out, Mr. Clark's house, which is amazing. So even though it's summer vacation, we still get to be with Mr. Clark in this season. Yay. And he is, Kim's notes here say, he's much like Bob, too pure for this world, which is so true. His, like, outfit, and he's working on his model train, you know, he's just living his best life. I know. And he's listening to My Bologna by Weird Al. And I, oh my gosh, so amazing. I mean, yeah. it filled my heart with joy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so back at the Rat House, Jonathan is trying to get uh, some good pictures of the caged rat while Nancy's calling around asking local businesses if they've received any calls about rabid rats. I mean, like, obviously, if there is, like, she's, she's calling, like, um, you know, farming uh, equipment and and like companies and that sort of thing obviously looking to see if more fertilizer has been eaten i'm thinking um so the caged rat suddenly starts writhing in pain and we know what's about to happen but jonathan doesn't of course and he wants to stick around and see what's about to happen but nancy pulls him away moments before (laughs) the the rat explodes, uh, so they just missed it, which, whatever. Um, so Nancy has a lead and pulls him away, and as soon as they leave the basement, the lights start to flicker, the rat explodes, and then the rat goo sort of moves of its own accord and gains speed as it races out of the basement. So I'm thinking that a pile of rat goo is what hit Billy's windshield, yeah? Yeah, that's probably fair. And- a pile of rat goo that was, like, speeding towards the factory to become part of the mind flare and if these things all combine gross gross uh so billy has dozed off in his lifeguard chair he is dreaming about the encounter with the mind flare in the upside down the night before uh and this is kim you kind of referenced this earlier but he speaks through the doppelganger in the upside down and he wants him to build what he sees um i have theories okay (laughs) do you want to talk about those now (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I feel that what the mind flayer is asking Billy to do is to build an army. 
And when he says to build what he sees, he's referring to that the group of people walking towards him with military precision in, in the cold open. And I think that every one of those people is someone that the Mind Flayer has infected already. So Billy, of course, is one. And I think the lifeguard at the end is going to be a new person in this army. And so um, maybe, maybe, maybe with a little bit too much of looking for connections here, they're kind of like an army of the dead because they will have lost all of their own free will and faculties and they will be essentially like, I don't know, like a, a drone army of the mind flayers who right. are just like... Um, you know, abiding his will and have no minds of their own. So that is what I'm thinking he's asking him to build when he says build what he what he sees. Interesting. Yeah, I was I didn't have like a very specific theory around that one. I was kind of wondering if like it would be about creating kind of elements from the upside down. But I mean, the army idea is a very good one. I I like that one. I wasn't as convinced that the girl is not just going to be like food somehow, but... So I think that every one of those people, including the lifeguard, who's going to, in my opinion, be infected in the same way that Billy was, then this is like invasion of the body snatchers, oh, right? And so, yeah, yeah yes. so like, I feel like they are all being sort of like uh, invaded one by one. And then afterwards, she is going to go back to her job in the same way that Billy did or, you know, whatever. But she is right. now going to be infected yep. and she's going to go about taking other people to the mind flare and then you know, on and on while this, everyone that they're infecting then infects more people and they become an army. Um, so he is seeing this through his dreams because he's asleep in the chair. He then finds his elbow burned, which we talked about from the sun. He, there's like weird dark shadows spreading in his veins when he turns his arm over. Um, and then when he's in the shower trying to trying to deal with himself, that's when this lifeguard comes to check on him. So the mind flyer then tells him to take her you know at first he kind of maybe tries to resist but then he attacks her i guess that's why i wasn't as connecting those two things because then there's like a separate directive but maybe it's all just kind of like related to this one mission you know what i mean yeah i think so i think that he was remembering the the direction that he got in the upside down the night before but then like right. on a in a real-time basis the mind flayer is telling him what he wants him to do, telling yeah. Billy what he wants him to do to through do either flashes of imagery, like with Karen or by literally like speaking to him through the, you know, the lifeguard herself by like making Billy think that he, you know, is hearing something other than what the lifeguard's actually saying. Like in real time, day to day, the mind flayer is like controlling Billy in that way, I think. Yeah. And then yeah. you could see him sort of like grip his jeans, like trying not to raise his hands to this woman, but um he fails um okay so now we have the mall montage in a complete <laughs> like um whiplash of tone <laughs> like, where we get so an true. amazing yeah. like fun upbeat mall montage to material girl by madonna where l shops for clothes the boys are intimidated by lingerie l <laughs> and max have glamour shots the photographer taking these glamour shots is so someone i want to follow uh, me around in my everyday life and just right? like, you know, uh, take pictures while shouting at me to like tussle my hair and give him an outfit change. I love um, to even the level of detail is that they're real brands at the store, you know, like it or at the mall, sorry, like the stores are all 
there's JC Penny and there's Gap, yes, like the Gap. old Gap, Esprit. I mean, just like it's great to see all these. It is bringing back memories for sure. Yeah. And no matter how uh, grown up the boys seem, as soon as they see lingerie, everybody's like, no. Like, they literally <laughs> fled. They ran away. <laughs> um, so Will, throughout the whole montage, just continues to ask if he can, if they can play D&D now. Um, so then after a quick stop at the uh, ice cream shop where we learn that Dustin and Robin are finally making some progress on the Russian translation, Ellen Max uh, are then leaving the mall and bump into the boys, uh, much to Mike's surprise. So his first reaction is to scold Elle for being out in public, which we already talked about. And then he launches into this like convoluted story oh, about man. why he is at the mall and not visiting his sick Nana. And Elle, of course, does not buy the lies because she's not an idiot. And she dumps his ass. Yeah. Oh, man. What have you done? We didn't want this. No. We didn't want this. Sometimes this is what has to happen to learn, though. Like, it's... I really, actually, we didn't talk about this, but I thought it was very poignant. Like, she's repeated a few times in this episode, like, the friends don't lie um, piece, which was so important in earlier seasons. And, like, you can... I'm with her on her betrayal here. This is, like, it's... And it's stupid. Like, this didn't need to get like this. But this is kind of what happens and things get blown out of proportion. And I also love in this, this scene, Lucas's face when Mike's, like, needs to rely on him to back up the Nana story. I mean, he spent the whole time being like, this is so dumb. And then finally he's like, well, I have to go along with it now. Like, what am I going to do? Lucas, I am really living for Lucas this season so far. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he is just like, I I feel like in season one, especially Lucas was going through it a little bit where he was losing his friend to, to Elle and he was, you know, feeling a bit, you know, angry and left out. And he, you know, brings so much value to the group always, of course. But I really like this turn where, like, he's, uh, you know, bringing some uh, comedy and, like, bringing all the looks <laughs> to, to uh, like, to every situation. Yeah. He's just, like, he's a lot of fun uh, this season, and I'm loving it. So <laughs> Hopper is arresting protesters, which we talked about a little bit earlier, when the special delivery from... The secretary of the police station, which is also amazing, arrives with his new clothes for his non-date with Joyce. And I love the other officer who's like, that's pretty colorful for you. (laughs) Um, And it is quite the ensemble. And this restaurant is clearly Hawkins's fanciest expensive I mean, date night restaurant how is there even a restaurant like this in this Hawkins? is a string quartet yeah a live string quartet are you shitting me <laughs> white tablecloth romantic everywhere um and he orders the scotch the whole thing the chianti oh, <laughs> the know. waiter oh, Hopper. he wanted oh. this to go well so badly yeah and like clearly at this point we realize joyce is not I mean, she's just forgotten all about it. She's yeah. on detective work. Um, so more to come from Hopper. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so Joyce is still at Mr. Clark's house getting a crash course in electromagnetic fields. I <laughs> don't know if does. you can explain this no. any better than I can. But, like, no. ultimately, electromagnetic field, stable equals magnets work. Unstable equals magnets don't work. Perfect. Don't correct. I don't. I don't care. That is the. Science, that is what everybody. I took out of that scene. It's probably ridiculous, but whatever. Um, so uh, Joyce asked Mr. Clark if there could be 
uh, an electromagnetic field that is disrupting both the magnets at her house and also at the general store. And he says that it's not impossible, but in order to have something big enough to impact that large an area, it would cost, you know, millions of dollars. It would be tens of millions of volts of electricity. So, uh... I don't know. Is this so? Here's my question: Is this the mind flare itself that's causing this disruption, or is yeah, something that the know. Russians are doing? Are the right. Russians doing something that is resulting in this disturbance, and that is how the gate is being kept open? Yeah, I do not understand how all these things connect right now. You know, like it's it's maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's an electric magnet that is the giant laser. Like there were spinning components on what we saw in the cold open of episode one. Um, but I, I don't really fully understand it, but I do, I mean, clearly one of the key takeaways is just the size of the area it's spanning. Um, you know, so like that's kind of the, yeah. I also love how he's like, no, the likelihood is that your kids walk by in the night and knock the magnets off the fridge and (laughs) (laughs) that's probably what happened. Exactly. And Joyce is like, yeah, okay, but like, what if it's not? Yeah. And like, Joyce has seen some shit. She knows. Joyce is correct. Yeah. Um, So Robin and Steve have finally finished and Dustin translating the Russian code, which is, drumroll, the week is long, the silver cat feeds when blue meets yellow in the West. I mean, I tried really hard to come up with literally anything about this. And I have, <laughs> I have nothing except for like when blue meets yellow in the West. Is that like at sunset? You know, who knows? We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but clearly they are all in agreement that it's top secret code um, and that it's coming from the Russians. And as they're leaving the mall, this is where Steve realizes that the music is coming actually from the horse ride in the mall, which means that the recording was probably taken within the mall. Is that what it means? Like it was within earshot of this horse? Yes, I'm thinking. So maybe not. I mean, I'm sure there's more than one horse. Right. So, yeah, but I think that ultimately they were implying that it was like it was probably in or around the mall. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we're going to get a sense of the fact that, yes, in fact, one of those evil Russians is in fact in Hawkins right now. So that is right. Because we see him in the very next scene, which is when uh, Hopper is oh, uh, hammered at the restaurant after drinking all of the scotch and wine that he ordered for both him and Joyce. But Joyce and never all the bread shows sticks. up. <laughs> all the breadsticks. So he is very drunk and he is not in a great mood. Uh, so he pays his bill and starts to walk out with his open bottle of wine. And when uh, his server tells him that he is not allowed to do that, he then says, as I mentioned earlier, that he can do whatever he wants because he's the chief of police. And as he's stumbling out of the restaurant, uh, you will notice that he bumped into a man at the bar who gives him a very pointed look. And so this is the same Russian soldier who killed Correct. the scientist in episode one in the cold open. And he's also wearing the same blue, you know, ensemble as the man that we saw from the back who was walking through the hallway out of the mayor's office. So whatever the Russians are doing in Hawkins, the mayor is in on it, it appears. Yeah, and this guy is definitely not at this romantic uh, French restaurant just for fun. So he's clearly keeping an eye on what is now a very compromised hopper. So Agreed, yes. Not good. And I felt like these are the the 
things that Hopper is doing that he can use against him to undermine him, to undermine his authority, to remove him as the sheriff, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is if they're going sort of a less, uh, like a nonviolent way of uh, <laughs> of bringing oh God. Hopper yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, in our last scene of the episode, Billy returns to the factory with his fellow lifeguard bound and gagged in the trunk. He carries her down to the basement, lays her on the ground as an offering to the Mind Flayer, and tells her not to be scared, lay very still, Oof. it will be over soon, which I think he's referring to whatever this, like, infection is to make her, you know, body snatched. And then we see the Mind Flayer sort of step out of the shadows, and it looks like it is made up of rat goo, but with, like, sucker tentacles sort of, like, emerging from its from its body, like, emerging and retracting. And then the lifeguard screams and credits. And then avoid watching episode three. It's like auto starting and you're like, no. <laughs> I know. I've never hit stop so fast than when I'm trying to watch this without getting spoiled. Because Stranger Things so often picks up immediately where we left off. That's so, right. And, uh, and it would be like, uh, you know, it would be incredibly tough to talk about one episode without mentioning things that happen in the next episode if we know what happens, right? Like, yeah. we can't talk about it as if we don't know what's happening if we've already seen it. So, like, I'm hitting stop real yeah, this quick. this is authentic, people. We have not yeah. watched ahead. And I, it is hard because everybody binges and, you know, I know that a lot of people have made their way through it. So thank you for listening along to episode two. And again, if you have thoughts or if you're taking some time to watch it, do let us know what you're thinking at kjrecaps.com slash feedback. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we are going to continue to drop kind of an episode a day uh, for the coming week as we go through all of these different episodes. But Kim, this has been great recapping episode number two. And I'm excited to tackle number three as soon as I go watch it. <laughs> Same. Okay. I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed listening. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.